213 by Stephanie Callis. Part 1. What If? Have you seen the Jim Jarmusch movie Mystery Train? I watched it the other night for the first time in years. I was 23 or 24 or 25 the first time I saw it, and it left me so inspired that I tried to write about it. I sat at my computer, typing disconnected observations until finally, suddenly, I became too scared to continue. What if I couldn't commit my thoughts to paper in a way that sounded good enough? What if people hated my writing? What if they thought I was stupid? I stopped typing and closed my laptop and, most likely, had a panic attack. I don't miss my early 20s. Anyway, mystery train. Jim Jarmusch makes movies that are mostly screened in cities. They feature performances by beloved weirdos, like Bill Murray, Steve Buscemi, and Tilda Swinton. Or slightly hipper weirdos, like Tom Waits, Iggy Pop, and John Lurie. Notable siblings Sinke and Joy Lee show up in Coffee and Cigarettes, along with notable rumored siblings Meg and Jack White. Sometimes these movies are eventful, but mostly... They're about vibes. Forrest Whitaker practicing with his sword in Ghost Dog The Way of the Samurai makes me want to study martial arts. Method Man freestyling in an empty laundromat in Patterson reminds me of the fun of ordinary life. Esther Balint dancing to Screamin' Jay Hawkins in Stranger Than Paradise is an ode to a boring night at home. In all these movies, plot progression can wait. Sit back and dig these vibes. Mystery Train is, for sure, a vibe. Three separate stories unfold on the same night in Memphis, Tennessee. The connective tissue, therefore, is Elvis Aaron Presley. I didn't care about Elvis when I saw Mystery Train at age 23 or 24 or 25, but for some reason I was inspired enough to write notes until I panicked. Clearly, a total bummer part of me cares too much about what people think. What if no one likes my writing? What if no one understands my writing? What if, what if, what if, man, what if you just vibe? Anyway, art is subjective. Some people hate Jim Jarmusch. Part 2. Mystery Train Once you notice Elvis is everywhere, he's impossible to miss. He's the pompadour in black and white photos. He's Bruce Springsteen's existential hard-on. He's both the template and the warning for promising young celebrities. He's a snow globe, a magnet, and David Bowie's lightning bolt. He's everywhere. Inescapable. And while he is dead, he lives on. This phenomenon is hilariously and accurately explored in the first of Mystery Train's three intersecting stories, Far From Yokohama. Mitsuko and June, a teenage couple from Japan, arrive in Memphis during what we assume is a rock and roll pilgrimage across America. After a tour of Sun Studios, which appears both over and underwhelming for Elvis-obsessed Mitsuko, they sit in front of the statue of Elvis that stood on Beale Street from 1980 to 1994. With the theatrical flick of a finger, June ignites his Zippo, lights a cigarette, and then tosses the lighter into his front jacket pocket. 
The move is cool. So cool, it must have taken hours, if not days, of practice. Mitsuko, meanwhile, only has eyes for the Elvis statue. Elvis Presley. King, she sighs. Carl Perkins was better, says June. This is surprising, considering June's slick black pompadour and ostentatious lighter flicking. Still, dorky boyfriends can't help asserting themselves. And June, if he's honest, is probably intimidated by the king. Elvis, says Mitsuko. Carl Perkins. Elvis. Carl Perkins. Their back and forth continues for several seconds. June sounds like a joyless robot with each utterance of the name, Carl Perkins. But Mitsuko's every Elvis comes directly from the heart. Eventually, she ends the argument by covering June's mouth with her hand and uttering one final, Elvis, King. They check into the arcade hotel, operated by night clerk Screamin' Jay Hawkins and bellboy Sinke Lee. Inside their room, Mitsuko unpacks her scrapbook. Did I show you my important discoveries, she asks. She instructs June to study the portrait of Elvis hanging above the hotel bed and flips open her scrapbook. Pasted to one page is a photo of an ancient statue carved from stone. And on the next page is a black and white photo of Elvis. The resemblance between the two faces is impossible to miss. This guy was an ancient Middle Eastern king, she says. Looks just like him, right? Mitsuko's other important discoveries include connections between Elvis and Buddha, Elvis and Madonna, and, most symbolically, Elvis and the Statue of Liberty. Elvis was more influential than I thought, groans the Carl Perkins-loving June, who could be making fun of Mitsuko, but could also be telling the truth. It might be difficult for June to admit that Mitsuko, a girl, knows something he doesn't about archetypal American coolness. Later, June quietly gazes out of the hotel room window while Mitsuko waits for him in bed. What are you looking at? she asks. Memphis. What are you thinking about? To be 18 feels cool. And so far from Yokohama, it feels cool to be in Memphis. I wonder if any of my grandparents felt cool to be 18. World War II was ramping up, so coolness probably wasn't a concern. Some of them smoked cigarettes, but so did doctors and dentists. My grandmothers never mentioned Frank Sinatra to me, but they had a lot to say about scrubbing floors. Or, in my maternal grandmother's case, scrubbing flaws. Maybe nothing for them was that cool. Especially not being young. Imagine surviving World War II and believing that you were safe. Imagine meeting a veteran who liked you so much he risked talking to your dad on the phone to ask you out on a date. Imagine getting married and really believing the till death part. Imagine buying a house and procreating without hesitation. Imagine sitting in your front room, your firstborn asleep in their crib, and watching a guy play guitar on Ed Sullivan while a mob of young people screamed. Looking down at your calloused hands, you wonder, 
Who are these young people? Why do they have time to be cool? Part 3. Carl Perkins The morning after re-watching Mystery Train, I looked up and saw Elvis. He appeared in the form of an illustration printed on a bright yellow t-shirt, which hung in a boutique window across from where I was having coffee. I stared at the shirt, chuckling to myself about how unattractive the designer made Elvis look. Then it hit me. Carl Perkins I don't know much about Carl Perkins, beyond the fact that he wrote Blue Suede Shoes, a song I'd never put on voluntarily because I'd never once thought to. I opened my phone and pulled up a picture of him online. His long, chiseled cheekbones reminded me of the giant in Twin Peaks. I laughed as I thought of June, and every other insecure boyfriend who prefers Carl Perkins types out of pure, jealous spite. I plugged in my headphones and hit play on his version of Blue Suede Shoes. For two minutes and thirteen seconds, I preferred Carl Perkins. The song sounded more sophisticated, subdued. Free from Elvis's trademarked voice, the song is just a song. A fun toe-tapping ditty to enjoy with black coffee. My head bobbed slowly up and down, and a man at the next table smiled at me. Maybe June wasn't a poser. Maybe he had a point. When the song ended, I took out my notebook and scribbled, Might prefer Carl Perkins' version. Slower, less hectic. He does say, lay off a dem shoes. Guitar is real fun. I put my pen down and stared at the t-shirt. The king stared back. The sun felt warm and comforting, and I wondered if my arms would tan. In the 33-page Elvis essay I've been working on for... a while, I write about my earliest memory of Elvis. Coincidentally, it features blue suede shoes. Fine, I'll read you a paragraph. My first grade teacher taught me that Elvis Presley was the king of rock and roll. If I close my eyes, I can see details of Mrs. Duddleston's classroom. The Garfield memorabilia and the papier-mâché crocodile. The American flag standing proudly to the right of the big green chalkboard. In this flashback, she lowers the lights, fires up the overhead projector, and when she hits play on the boombox, 30 first graders shout along to the blue-inked words on the screen. For such a vivid memory, one key detail is missing. Elvis's voice. Did Mrs. D play it for us? Or did she find a cassette with nothing but instrumentals? Either way, I don't remember hearing his voice. I only remember myself singing, Blue, 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 blue. In retrospect, this lesson was more about words than music. Suede looks funny when you're still learning to read. More of that someday. In a way, Blue Suede Shoes has been stuck in my head since that day, even though I don't know where I heard it the second time. Another music class, perhaps? Or a third-grade chorus performance? Through osmosis, I learned the song was important, but I never understood why it was popular. I picked up my phone again, and for the first time in my life, and for the sake of a fair comparison, I put on Elvis's Blue Suede Shoes. Right away, I could hear that Elvis is goddamn young. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. Go, cat, go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoes. Well, you can do anything but take over my blue suede shoes. Carl Perkins pauses at the beginning of Blue Suede Shoes, 
Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Now go, cat, go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoes. You can do anything but pay off of my blue suede shoes. But doesn't quite pay off those pauses with enough big energy. Not only does Elvis bring big energy, but he also ditches the pauses and shaves 13 seconds off the song. I grabbed my notebook and scribbled, It's so much fun. You can't help but picture his stupid little butt. Oh my god, he said lay off of them. It's so much more modern. I'm smiling like an idiot. There must be essays about this song by people who know music. People who understand theory and can hear all that hidden math. I can't worry about those people. Those people who know things that I don't and make me wonder, what if? What if I'm not smart enough to talk about Carl Perkins versus Elvis? What if I'm not good enough to finish the 33-page Elvis essay? A part of me wants to find proof that I don't know what I'm doing. That I can't commit my thoughts to paper in a way that sounds good enough. What if people hate my writing? What if they think I'm stupid? I should shut my laptop and have a panic attack like any self-respecting neurotic. Christ. Insecurity is boring. What a boring way to live. Anyway, art is subjective. Anyway, Elvis is a vibe. Train a ride. Sixteen coaches long. 